Well, today uh, we will uh, conclude uh, the lesson on becoming uh, fishers of men, which is the twelfth lesson in a sermon series entitled Keys to Spiritual Growth. Uh, We have been focusing on the invitation Jesus extended uh, to Peter and Andrew in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, which is an invitation which Jesus still extends to you and me today. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In this invitation of only ten words, uh, we find the answer to three very significant questions related to a believer. In the previous two messages, we answered the first two questions. This morning, we will answer the third. Uh, Let's begin with a a review of the material that we've already covered, and I will let you know I'm going to take the opportunity to expand on a couple of those points that we've already covered because I believe this will be beneficial and helpful. Uh, So uh, I trust you picked up a copy of the sermon notes And uh, so follow there in those notes. The first question, of course, what is God's plan for my life as a believer? What is God's plan for my life? And we find the answer to that question in the very first two words of Jesus' invitation. Follow me. To be a Christian simply means to follow Jesus. Well, what does it mean uh, to follow Jesus Well, look at those next uh, three points in your notes as a review. We've already covered this, but to follow Jesus is first to trace my life after Jesus. To trace my life after Jesus. Romans 8, uh, 29 from the paraphrase, the message. God decided uh, from the outset to shape the lives of those who love Him along the same lines as the life of His Son. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in Him. So to follow Jesus means that I make my number one priority to grow in Christ-like character conduct, to develop His attitudes and His values and perspectives on life. Second, to follow Jesus is to turn away from all other distractions, to turn away from all other distractions. Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I plan for him is not fit for the kingdom of God. And then third, to follow Jesus is to stay tuned in on Jesus. Philippians 3, verses 14 and 15. I've got my eye on the goal, Paul writes, where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back, so let's keep focused on that goal. And we noted the simple reality that very difficult to follow someone if you're not remaining attentive and watchful to them. We also looked at Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, which is not in your notes, but where Jesus spells out the cost of following him. And in verse 34, Jesus says, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. 
since the path Jesus followed led to the cross where he sacrificed his life for you to follow Jesus means you also will be led to that cross where you must sacrifice your life for him. So the key application on this uh, first point is the God I communicate to others is not the God that I talk about, but the God whose life I live out. We're talking about becoming fishers of men. We're talking about influencing people. I cannot impart to another person what I myself do not possess. And before I can give a credible verbalization, presentation of the gospel, there needs to be a clear visualization of the gospel truth lived out in and through my life. Look at the second question that we focused on uh, last Sunday. What is God's purpose for my life? Follow me, he said, and I will make you what? What's those next words? Fishers of men. God's purpose for Andy Merritt's life, God's purpose for every believer is to make us fishers of men. What does it mean to be a fisher of men? Well, again, that first point there in your notes, to be a fisher of men is to catch people for Jesus, to catch people for Jesus. We looked at the story in Luke 5, which is associated with Christ's uh, invitation that he extended to Peter and Andrew. And in verse 10, he says to Peter, Peter, do not fear, because from now on, you're going to be catching men. So to catch people for Jesus begins, and very, very important, by focusing on the value of lost people. That's where it begins. By me as a believer, as a follower of Christ, focusing on the value of lost people. We looked at Luke 15. Again, not in your notes, uh, but there in that chapter, uh, Jesus shared three parables. And he shared these three parables in response to the complaint of the Pharisees. You remember what that complaint was? We talked about this last week. The Pharisees were complaining that he was receiving sinners and actually eating with them, associating with them, socializing with them, building relationships with them. And, and they, this disgusted them. They, they could not understand why he seemed to gravitate towards the outcast of society and those that had fallen deep into the gutter of sin. And so Jesus answers the complaint with these three parables. In the first parable, uh, it's about a shepherd, a shepherd who owns 100 sheep, and he leaves the 99 to what? To seek and find the one sheep who was lost. In the second parable, a woman who loses one of 10 coins literally goes crazy and turns her house upside down until she finds the lost coin. And then in the third parable, a father receives back his prodigal son who was lost. Now, the main point in each parable, the main point is the tremendous joy experienced when that which is lost is found. So Jesus answers the complaint of the Pharisees that he received sinners and ate with them with these 
three parables. And what he's basically saying, hey, don't get upset with me. I'm just doing what comes natural to everyone. I mean, any person values what they lost. Any person's going to diligently seek for that which they lost. And when they find it, they're going to experience great joy. Well, in the same way, I value lost sinners. And I've come to diligently seek them. And when I find one and he turns to me in repentance, I'm experiencing great joy along with all of heaven. Now, therefore, since Christ's primary focus on earth was to seek and save lost sinners because of their value to God as a follower of Jesus Christ, I too must focus on seeking finding lost sinners because of their value to God. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. A beautiful, beautiful portion of Scripture. Do nothing. Don't do anything, believer. Don't do anything, follower of Christ, out of selfishness for your own interest. Don't do anything out of selfish, uh, empty conceit to put yourself on a pedestal to be noticed by others, receive the applause of men, but instead with humility of mind, and that would be better translated with lowliness of mind, let each of you regard one another, what? More important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. And then this admonition, this, this challenge is built on what? The example of Christ. He says, have this attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to talk about how Jesus left the glories of heaven and came to the ghettos of this world because he valued you and I. He loved you and I. Uh, very, very quickly, just a couple of important words that you want to circle that really drive this home even more powerfully. Circle first the word regard. With humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And circle that word important. In the, in the Greek text, that word regard is hegomai, and the word important is huperako. And they're fascinating words. The little word regard literally means to let rule or to let command. You could say uh, it's to be the governing principle in your life. It's, it's what literally is to control you. Um, matter of fact, this was a military term, which meant to, to let lead or to let command. So he's saying... Don't do anything out of selfishness. Don't do anything out of pride. But with lowly, lowliness of mind, you're to let lead. This is to be the governing principle in your life. This is how you're to see people, that they are what? More important than you. And that word uh, important there means to be held up in high esteem. That's literally what it means. And that's how we're to view lost people as those who are to be held up in high esteem with great value because Jesus loved them. Jesus came to die for them, to bring them to salvation. So we need to view them as treasures to be sought after, to be found and to be brought and restored uh, to God. And then circle that little phrase, look out for. 
Do not look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. That's the word scopio in the Greek text. It's from the word which we get like scope on a gun. And, and, and this is a word full of meaning. That, that literally means something has captured your attention. It has captured your focus. You're almost oblivious of everything else. And your one goal in life is to apprehend that object and to make it your own. That's what the word literally means. This is the same word Paul uses in the third chapter to describe his relationship with Jesus. That I have my eyes fixed on him as my prize, as my treasure. And my one goal in life is to become like him, to own him, to possess him. But here he's not talking about his relationship with Jesus. He's talking about his relationship with the people with other people, and reaching out to people with the love of Jesus. And he says, this is how we're to live our lives as believers. We're, we're to let lead as the governing principle that others are to be held in high esteem, especially the lost, because Jesus valued them so much, he died for them. And then I'm not to focus on my interests, I'm not to focus on my welfare, I'm to focus on their interests, I'm to focus on their welfare, and of course their welfare would be what? To come to know Jesus. To be saved from eternal damnation, to know eternal life with God. Luke 19, verse 10 there in your sermon notes, for the Son of Man has come. Why did he come? To seek and save that which was lost. And then as he prays for you and I, his followers, in John 17, verse 18, he says, Father, as thou didst send me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Why did the Father send the Son to seek and save the lost? And we've been sent in the same way as the body of believers, as followers of Christ, to seek and save those who are lost. And then let me just take another couple of moments to reinforce uh, this truth. You know, in Revelation chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but in verses 10 and 11... We're told that the Apostle Paul hears a loud voice behind him telling him to write uh, to seven local churches. And then in verses 12 and 13 of Revelation 1, we read this. And then John turned to see the voice that was speaking with him. And having turned, he said, I saw seven golden lampstands, and, and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man. Now, many of you are familiar with this portion of Scripture. Who do the seven lampstands represent? The local churches. Exactly, the local churches. The local churches that John was commanded to write to. And we're actually clearly told that in the very last verse of the chapter, that the lampstands are Represent, do represent the local churches. Who is the one like the Son of Man? Of course, a clear reference to Jesus. And if you read on in the passage, you, you see that. It gives this brilliant description of him as our great and faithful high priest with those eyes flame of fire. And, uh, and, and, the, and the vision of Christ is so magnificent. You remember John's response? He falls down as one what? Dead. And he's, he has to be told not to fear, uh, but to stand, to follow, and to write uh, what God shares with him to these uh, seven churches. Now, what I want you to see, just very simple truth. The resurrected Christ, in this vision that he's given, is where? Standing, did you catch it? In the middle, in the center. In other words, you, you have this picture of the... Of the 
of these local churches sort of in a, in a circle and then Jesus standing right in the middle, in the very center of these local churches. And why? To light them up as what? What are they? Lampstands. We are to shine for Jesus in this dark world and to bring the light of his life to the lost. Do you remember what Jesus said to his followers in Matthew 5? He couldn't be any clearer than right here. He said, you are the light of the world. And you know how that actually literally reads in the Greek text? He turns to his followers and he says, you and you alone are the light of the world. I mean, if you don't shine, there is no other light to point people to me. He says, you and you alone are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But they put it on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. So that they may see your good works. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus did not save us for us to hide inside the four walls of a church building. He saved us to go public as light bearers once Christ finished the work of salvation and ascended to heaven. He left the church on earth for the express purpose to take the light of his salvation to lost people. Why? Because he loves them and he values them and we're to love and value them as well. Look at that next bullet point in your sermon notes. To catch people for Christ, I must free myself to go fishing for lost people. In Philippians 2, verses 6 through 7, we again are instructed by the example of Christ. It says, Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not re- regard equality with God as something to grasp or selfishly cling on to, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Now, don't miss this. Don't miss the connection right here to the previous point that we just talked about, about the value of lost people. See, here's, here's the connection. You free yourself for whatever is most important to you. That's just a simple reality. You free yourself for whatever is most important to you. You will always find the time for who or what you value most. Jesus, we're told in this passage, Philippians, left the very glories of heaven... And he came to the ghettos of this sin-cursed world. Why? Well, we saw the answer already earlier in Luke 15. He came to receive sinners and eat with them. To associate with them, identify with them, build relationships with them. That they might be restored to his Father. And if you're not freeing yourself to make time for lost people, if you're not making yourself available to be deliberate and intentional in reaching out 
in building relationships with them, let me make a suggestion. I would suggest that what we need to do is get alone with God. And we need to pray this prayer. God, open the eyes of my heart to see the love and value you have for lost sinners. And then begin to thank God that he loved and valued you so much as a lost sinner, he purchased you with the precious blood of his son to be his child and the bride of his son. And then you just linger there. You just linger there in God's presence and you reflect on the wonder of all of that. That he loves and values you as much as he loves and values the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll never get over that. How could any believer ever get over that? He literally loves me. He literally values me as much as he loves and values his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And just reflect on that, praise him for that until your heart overflows with adoration to God. Until you can proclaim with the hymn writer, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene and wonder how he could love me. A sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. See, to see And to feel God's love for me is to realize it is a love to be shared with others. Even as God shared his love with me unconditionally. And this gives me the opportunity to emphasize one more important truth. A heart of evangelism flows out of a heart of worship. The key to evangelism is worship. Another way of putting this A deficiency in evangelism stems from a deficiency in worship. Another way of putting it, a heart for evangelism is the evidence of true worship. Therefore, if what we call worship is not producing a greater love for and desire to reach lost sinners with the gospel, we need to question our definition of worship. Please take your Bibles. I want to show you just a beautiful example of this. Uh, Look at Hebrews chapter 10. You know, two years ago, we went through a verse-by-verse study of this entire book. And uh, if you remember that study, and I, I trust you remember parts of it, I want to begin reading at verse 19. Because Hebrews 10, 19 is the climax of the entire book. I mean, this is it. Everything he's written up to this point was to get him here, to give him the opportunity to say this. And what had he been doing? Just holding up the supremacy of Christ, holding up the forgiveness, the redemption that's offered in Christ, holding up those wonderful new covenant promises that we've, we've been pardoned from sin and he'll remember them no more, that he's given us a new heart that loves and hungers and thirsts after God. And he's taken up residence in our hearts to guarantee the fulfillment of all the new covenant promises. And then here, here's the climax. He says, verse 19, Since therefore, brethren, 
We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, don't miss this, let us draw what? Near with a sincere heart. It's the climax of the book. He said, I've said, written everything that I've written so that you would become worshipers, that you would see the beauty, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And therefore, you would have boldness to come into the Holy of Holies, to draw near to Him with a sincere heart, to worship Him, to honor Him, to glorify Him, to thank Him. Now, turn over to Hebrews 13. And a great, great cross-reference. Let me just begin reading in verse 12. Uh, Hebrews 13, verse 12. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people, through his own blood suffered, where? Outside the gate. Hence, let us go out to him outside the camp, Bearing his reproach. This is a simple point that I want to make. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Let us therefore go into the Holy of Holies to worship an almighty God, a loving, redeeming God, and to praise him with a sincere heart. But the proof that you've gone into worship is your willingness to go outside the camp and minister to lost people, to sacrifice your lost people, for your life for lost, even as Jesus sacrificed his life for the lost, even willing to bear reproach to reach them and to save them. So the greatest evidence, the greatest evidence that I have that I have truly spent time in the Holy of Holies worshiping God, again, is that I am willing, like Jesus, to go outside the camp into the world to reach. The loss. This brings us to the next point. To catch people for Christ is building relationships with lost people and earning their respect in order to gain a receptive hearing of the gospel. To catch people for Christ is all about building relationships with lost people and earning their respect in order to gain a receptive hearing of the gospel. And again, staying in Philippians 2 with the example of Christ, we read in verses 7 and 8, being made in the likeness of men. Again, that willingness to identify with you and I, so that he could embrace you and I. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, but becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In other words, he was willing to love us to death. There, he knew a love for us that knew no limits, that knew no boundaries. And we need to have that same love for others. 1 Corinthians 9, 22, I've become all things to all men that I might by all means may save some. And again, we talked about this. It's not talking about compromising our, our values and our standards, but he's talking about coming along people looking for ways to identify with them, to relate with them, in order to build relationships with them. And then we saw that great example in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. When Paul went back and he recalled, he remembered when he initially came to Thessalonica to bring the gospel to them. And you remember how he described that? He said, I became to you like a mother who tenderly cares for her children. He goes on and says, I became like a father to you to encourage you to walk worthy of God. He uses all these beautiful relational terms. 
He said, that's how I brought you to salvation, through relational evangelism. I got close with you. Just like Jesus received sinners and ate with them. I got close with you. I got involved with you. Where you could see the authenticity of my Christianity through my life. And that, that testimony created in their hearts and lives a hunger and thirst for God. But it was all built on relationships. As he was tender like a mother. But as he encouraged them like a, a father. And you remember he even says there... He says, it was pleased to us not only to impart to you the gospel, but our own lives. Because you were very dear to us. What a powerful statement. He said, it wasn't just about sharing a message. No, it, it, yes, it was sharing a message, but because we loved you. You were dear to us. We valued you. We cherished you. We treasured you. Again, another beautiful example of loving and valuing uh, lost people. And then look at that second point there in your notes. What bait do I use to catch people for Jesus? My testimony. In other words, I get deliberate and intentional by building relationships with them. And through building those relationships, there will come that open door. There will come that opportunity to share with them the hope that I have in Christ. And what is my testimony? You see those four bullet points. What my life was like before I met Jesus. How I realized my need for Jesus. How I received Jesus into my life and the difference Jesus has made in my life. That's what your testimony is. And every Christian needs to reflect on those four points. And you need to be able to articulate that to any person that God would give you the opportunity to do so. Again, what my life was before I met Jesus, how I realized my need for Christ, how I received Him into my life, and the difference He's made in my life. And here's the key application. The devil really does not care if, I feel my, if my life is filled with evil or good things. As long as I stay distracted, from doing the work God left me on earth to do. And of course that work is what? Acts 20 verse 24. But my life is worth nothing to me, Paul says, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So again, God doesn't care if I fall off the rails as a believer into sin, evil things. He doesn't care if I jump right into church ministry and get involved in all sorts of things as long as I become distracted from the one thing he's left me on here on earth to do, and that is to impact and influence the lives of lost people and bringing them to Jesus Christ. And, and, and would you please circle that word telling, telling others. It is important for me to mention there is no gospel without words. The testimony of your life is not enough. Now, it's extremely important. But the gospel is about a message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The gospel is a challenge for a person to turn from their sin, running their own life, to embrace Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. So we need to realize, when we talk about getting deliberate and intentional about building relationships with people, freeing ourselves, making time for lost people, sharing our time, everything is for the express purpose to get to that point 
where there can be the gospel given, the truth of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. When he canceled out their sin debt in order to impute his righteousness to their account and give them a right standing before God. Amen? Now, we come to the last question there in your notes. What is God's promise to me? God's plan is for me to follow Jesus. His purpose is for me to be fishers of men. And here's His promise. Follow me, and I love these next words, and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, He's saying, trust me in this. I know you're scared. We talked about this last week. Remember we said it's, it's just important to get out in the open, that we're all scaredy cats. We're all overcome with a sense of inadequacy in this area. We tend to beat ourselves up with frustration and guilt uh, that we don't love lost people enough, that we aren't reaching out uh, to lost people. And we say, let's just get that out in the open. We're all in the same boat. We're all struggling with the same thing. But in the midst of that, Jesus doesn't come with a rod to beat you. He comes with a promise to encourage you. And he says, if you would just trust me in this, if you'll just trust me, I will make you to be a fisher of men. You remember two weeks ago when we, we began uh, this lesson, uh, we, ac- we actually uh, that we began that first message by looking at that story in Luke chapter 5 when Jesus called Peter and Andrew to be fishers of men. And you remember in that story, uh, Jesus borrows their boat. And he borrowed their boat to be a what? A pulpit. And you remember Jesus gets in the boat along with Peter and Andrew and they push off a little from the shore because a huge crowd had gathered around Jesus. And so Peter, literally sitting in the shadow of Jesus in the boat, he watches his Lord and Savior cast his net to catch men for the kingdom of God. Remember we talked about that. And how Peter just was eaten up with a sense of fear and inadequacy thinking, you know, how could I ever hope to be a, a fisher of men like that? And and Jesus, reading Peter's thoughts, knowing he was struggling with fear and inadequacy, he wanted to give him his first fishing lesson. And so after he preaches to the people, he turns to Peter and says, Peter, he says, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And if you remember the story, did Peter really want to do this? No. They'd been fishing all night. They had caught absolutely nothing. As I shared with you two weeks ago, they would have looked at Jesus like he was crazy. It's obvious he's a carpenter because every fisherman knows here in the Sea of Galilee you catch fish at night in the shallow water, not in the daytime, in the deep water. And so what Jesus asked him to do was contrary to all of his training, all of his experience. He didn't, also, he had pride. He didn't want to look like a fool in the eyes of this huge crowd that had gathered on the shore. I mean, he, he was struggling. But to Peter's credit, praise God, despite his objections, despite his struggles, he says, he turns to Jesus, he says, what? Nevertheless, at thy bidding, I'll obey you. And you remember, he obeys Jesus. They catch this huge drought. It's so huge, he has to call out for James and John, two other brothers, to come in their boats to help them bring this load of fish in. And you remember when that happened, we talked about how Peter, it struck Peter as this is happening, and he says, 
Because remember we said what the miracle, the miracle was not that there would be such a large school of fish in one place in the Sea of Galilee. The miracle was that Jesus was able to look into the de- down into the depths of that water and know where those fish were. And then it struck Peter. Man, if he can look down into the depths of this sea, he sees into the very depths of my heart. He knows my fear. He knows my inadequacy. He knows my sin. He knows my every deficiency, my every flaw. And he throws himself down in the boat at the feet of Jesus. And he says, depart from me, Lord Jesus, for I am a sinner. And that's when Jesus looks at Peter, probably put his hand on his head, Peter, don't fear. Because from now on, you're going to be catching men. And then Peter is off and running and following Jesus for his life never to be the same again. Yeah, he had a lot of ups and downs, but he remained faithful to the very, very end. Now, I just want to focus as we close on put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Because in that one verse, what magnificent, simplistic, but very profound truth. Look there in your notes. Put out into the deep water. Go where God sends me. There's the truth. Put out into the deep water. I got to go where God sends me. Let down your nets. Do what God tells me. And then when it says for a catch, because God will empower me. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't it simple but profound? Put out into the deep water. Go where God sends me. Let down your nets. Do what God tells me for a catch. God will empower me. In other words, this does require what? Faith on our part. I cannot let my feelings of fear and inadequacy dictate my Christian life. In this matter of becoming deliberate and intentional in seeing the value of, love, of, of lost people, of building relationships with them, making time for them, looking for that opportunity to share my testimony, even go further to challenge them with Christ in their life. I only can do that as He empowers me. Look at the key application. God will empower me to be a fisher of men, don't miss this now, not in the absence of weakness and fear, not in the absence of weakness and fear, but in the midst of it. See, if, 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 you're, if you're sitting there saying, you know, before I would ever witness, I'm going to have to get over this fear and this sense of inadequacy, you will never witness. Because you will never get over that fear. You'll never overcome that sense of inadequacy. Matter of fact, it is that very fear. It's that very sense of inadequacy that qualifies you to receive his empowerment, his adequacy. And let me close with 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you want to turn there, you're fine. If you just want to listen. But this is the Apostle Paul's own example. There's probably no other man in the Scripture and in church history that we put up on a pedestal like Paul. We view him as the champion of the faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by God, unequaled in in church history. And this is what the Apostle Paul says 
about himself and this matter of sharing Christ with others. He, he's writing to the church at Corinth. And in chapter 2, like he did in 1 Thessalonians chapter, uh, uh, chapter uh, 2, he, he recalls when he came initially to the city to begin to build relationships with lost people, to be able to share his testimony and present Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, and when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I, don't miss this, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul says, when I walked into Corinth and I began to build relationships with you and began to share with you, I was scared. I felt weak, totally inadequate. But then in verse 4, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You know what Paul is saying? I came to Corinth for one express purpose, because I love and value lost people as my Savior loves and values lost people. I came to receive sinners, to eat with them, to build relationships with them, for them to be able to see the authenticity of Christ in and through my life, to create a hunger and thirst in their lives, to where I would have the opportunity to share with them the hope that is in me, the reality of Christ and how Jesus can transform their lives if they would simply make their heart His home by inviting them in, Him in to forgive them of their sins and take control of my life. He says, I came, and I was scared, and I was weak, and I was inadequate. That's what I felt. But as I was feeling weak, as I was feeling scared, as I was feeling inadequate, as I obeyed God anyway, what you experienced was the demonstration of the Spirit's power. And your lives were changed. Your lives were transformed. And God's going to use you in the same way. He's not going to remove the fear and inadequacy. He's going to use you in the midst of it so that the glory what goes to him and not to the vessel. And I trust the prayer for all of us would be what? God, may they forget the messenger to see only what? The master. Amen. Bow with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that just like you extended the invitation uh, to Peter and Andrew, you are extending that same invitation to us today. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So, Lord, I pray that we, like Peter and Andrew would leave everything to follow you to become fishers of men with eyes wide open to the fact to follow you means that there's no greater priority than to become like you for the purpose of being able to catch lost people for Jesus. Knowing that as we surrender our lives for that very purpose, 
you will be the one to empower us to do what we could never do in our own strength, in our own wisdom, in our own power. So let me just give you an opportunity right now. Jesus is extending that invitation. Will you follow me? Will you surrender your life to be a fisher of men, even in the midst of your fear and in weakness and inadequacy? So let me just be quiet for a few moments and let you respond to God. And I trust you will accept His invitation, surrender to His invitation, trusting that as you do, He'll fulfill His promise to make you a fisher of men. Amen. As we extend the invitation today, uh, possibly uh, one of those fish jumped right into our sanctuary uh, this morning. And uh, you know, you know in your heart of hearts that your life is void of Christ. And although this message has been directed to believers uh, to follow Christ in this matter of uh, investing in the lives of lost people. Uh, You've seen through this message, Jesus loves you. Jesus values you. So much so that he left the glories of heaven to identify with you, to receive you, to eat with you, to seek you, to find you, and to rejoice in your salvation as you would put your trust in him. So I would invite you, I would challenge you this very day uh, to make your heart his home, to invite him in, to follow him as your Lord, and to embrace the purpose he has now for your life to be a fisher of men and to bring others to the Lord Jesus Christ even as you were brought to Christ. And I would encourage you to do that. If you've been visiting, uh, looking for a church family, God's leading you to unite here, I would invite you to simply walk down the aisle, uh, make that known. We like to get your face before our people so they can begin to love on you, uh, express their appreciation to you, and we'll help you through that full process uh, to membership. So please stand as the invitation is extended, and I'll be right here to uh, greet anyone that would have a decision of any nature.